Praise the Lord. Turn to Isaiah chapter 50. And uh, why don't we stand to our feet as you're turning to that. Isaiah chapter 50. And I'm going to cheat and use the screen back there instead of my Bible. <laughs> and uh, we've been doing a series. And, and when we say a series, we're just, we're just exploring some things. Because what I've been asking the Lord is, Lord, show me and teach us what it means to be a disciple. And, I, you know, we think of the typical, thing, typical things like a disciple has a quiet time. A disciple reads the Bible. A disciple... Uh, worships, a disciple prays, and, and those are things that you would normally hear in a series called Marks of a Disciple. Instead of going with what is so obvious and what most of us know, I really felt like we needed to explore some broader things, and so we've been talking about several things. So I want us to, we're going to read the scripture together, and then I'll explore that just a little bit and kind of let you know where we're at. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 and 7 Look in your scriptures, it says this, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. Now, this is a prophecy about Jesus, the coming Messiah. It says, I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. You remember what happened during the crucifixion scene and leading up to that where he was beaten and they literally plucked his beard out and and chunks of, of his beard came out at the same time. They spit on him. And that's what that prophecy Hundreds of years before the actual uh, thing happened, this was prophesied. It was very accurate. Verse 7, look what it says. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, someone say therefore. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And everybody said... Amen and amen. You can be seated. I want you to leave that scripture up there just for a second because I want all of you to look at the screen and look what that verse says. Again, this is Jesus saying, for the Lord will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Now look what Jesus says, or or the prophecy about Christ says, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. A flint is a rock. In other words, he says, I have set my face, and it is unmovable. I have set my face. He says, I have, I've, I've put myself in a direction, and I will not be moved. Someone say, I will not be moved. Do you know that God has an amazing plan and purpose for your life, and he has a mission? And within that broader mission, he has multiple assignments for you. The question is, are you fulfilling your assignments? Are you on mission? We all know there's a bigger mission. We're to make disciples of all nations. We know that. That's our goal. That's our, we're, that's our imperative. We make disciples. But there are multiple assignments within that larger canopy that you have, and some of them happen several times a day where the Holy Spirit might bump or nudge or even maybe scream or sometimes that very gentle whisper, that still small voice, will speak to you, and there is something for you to do in that moment. And in that moment, you have the opportunity to walk out obedience to walk out faithfulness, to be responsive to his voice. It's interesting because everybody wants to hear God's voice clear. And let me give you a real simple key to hearing the voice of God. Do the last thing he told you to do that you need to do. Be obedient with the last assignment and you'll get a new one. It's amazing how we all want to hear the next thing, the next thing. We want to know what God's going to do out there. We want to, what is God want, what's God's will for my life? And we make it this big thing because we want to see the end of it. He already sees the end from the beginning, as Annette said on Sunday morning. But literally, if you want to hear his voice for now, how many of you want to hear his voice for now? You do know 
that faith is for now. That theology that is not acted upon, not lived out, and not practically applied to your life is only theory. I don't need more theories. I need theology that works. I need theology that works in real life. Amen? Do you? So I want to hear his voice. The way I hear his voice is I go back to the last thing he said, and then I have to say, did I do it? Did I fulfill it? Did I finish my last assignment? It's amazing when you go back and do the last thing that he told you to do, you'll hear the next thing. And then the next one, for we walk by what? Faith, and not by... Now, we walk by, we go, we move. There's movement in that. And so just know, and I really believe that's for somebody. Jesus set his face like a flint. He says, I know I will not be ashamed. In other words, he looked forward. There was something about him, and he had incredible focus. Jesus understood his mission. Now, when we talk about the marks of a disciple, we've been talking about several things. One, we talked about the battle of the mouth, (laughs) that a disciple understands the power of their words and that our words carry weight. It's amazing how even joking around, we can say something that cuts and hurts. Am I the only one who's ever been guilty of that? Even, even cutting up, even joking around, and, and we'll say something, and, and depending on the, on the person hearing it and the soil of their heart and the, how that's been cultivated, they may receive it in a negative way. And so we, have to, we battle what comes out of our mouth. And I love what Joyce Meyer says about that. She says, you do not, listen, not everything that falls into your mind has to fall out of your mouth. We don't have to give voice to everything that comes to our mind. And when we do that and our mind is untrained and it is not sanctified and you begin to give voice to the most horrible and horrific things. Well, nothing ever works out for me. I never win anything. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm too stupid. I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that. We'll begin to just let things flow out of our mouth that literally destroy us word by word by word. Someone say, our words have power. So we talked about the battle of the mouth. We talked about the battle of the mind. Again, not everything that falls into your mind has to fall out of your mouth. And I love, again, listen to this. Where the mind goes, the man follows. That is an absolute fact. Whatever you are filling with your, whatever you're putting in your mind, whatever you're dwelling on, whatever, because we become what we behold, whatever we meditate on, where the mind goes, the man follows. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? See how all that works together? The mouth, the mind, all these things work together. So we talked about that. We also talked about authority, the authority of the believer. Uh, One of the marks of the disciples, they understand their authority. They understand that they have been given dominion, the right to rule the right to reign on this earth in this life because the Bible says literally he has put all things under our feet. And where's the devil? Somebody say it again like they mean it. That's right. The devil is under our feet. Where's your circumstances? Now, somebody say it like they really meant it. See, you've got to get bold in this thing. Why? Because you've been given authority to literally declare and literally declare the decree in the book of Psalms says we declare the decree. I mean, we have the ability to literally release things in the atmosphere that change the atmosphere. We have been given authority. Say, I have been given authority in Christ Jesus. 
Last week, we talked about another mark of a disciple, and that is momentum, that what you sowed yesterday, you're reaping a harvest for today, and today, you sowed things into your life and into your situation and circumstance that's going to bring a harvest tomorrow. We sow today for a harvest tomorrow. That harvest is what gives us momentum to get us through the lean times, to get us through the deserts, to get us through the dry times, to get us through the times where our prayers don't seem to have a lot of power where we don't, we don't get a lot out of this book as we read it. It doesn't seem, but we got to have momentum to carry us through those times. And one of the marks of a disciple is that they're maturing in momentum. Does that make sense? All of us need more momentum. Amen? Now, today we're going to talk about this, that another mark of a disciple is that they are focused. Focused. Now, remember, we're talking about the marks of a disciple, not the marks of a church attender. We're talking about the marks of a Christ follower, a fully, I love the way years ago, Willow Creek Community Church, uh, Dr. Bill Hobbles kind of coined this phrase with his team, and they, they said, you know what, the, the word disciple has lost its impact in our culture, so we want to kind of not reword it, but just define it a little bit, and they, they begin to say this, that they want to make those who come to know Christ into, and he says it this way, fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what a disciple is, a fully devoted. Someone say fully devoted. Fully devoted follower of Christ. So that may mean more than going to church a couple of times a month. It may mean more than just picking up your Bible once a month. It may mean more than just throwing on a Kurt Franklin CD once a year. It might mean that there is a pursuit about us, something about us that follows after him that follows after God. A disciple is a fully devoted follower. So we're not, so I, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but if you're a disciple and you name yourself as a disciple and I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a student of Jesus, I'm a pupil, I'm a learner, I'm a follower. If that's you, man, if that's you, then this is for you tonight. That one of the things that you have and the reason why you are where you are and why you're maturing and growing is because you have focus. Someone say focus. Let me define focus for us. It means this, the quality of having clear visual definition. Now, think about the old film strip project. Okay, right, my generation. You remember the old film strip projectors? Remember if they, if they didn't keep them moving, they'd just burn up? Remember those? You'd be sitting there watching one, and it starts smelling funny, and then all of a sudden it starts to burn on the screen. And, and what those were, they were film strip projectors that, you know, now it's video, it's, it's really cool now. But back in the day, it was this big old gray metal film strip projector. And these little film strips that came in little canisters. And if you were the lucky kid in the class or the teacher's pet or whatever, or, you know, you got to actually load and run it. Remember that? Anybody ever get to do that? Man, I was all about that. I was all into that. I, I loved it. And so, but you put that in, and, and inevitably... No knock on teachers, but I had a couple of teachers that had real visual, they were visually impaired to the point where they could literally not focus the projector because it had this big lens on it, and you just turn the lens to focus it. Anybody remember those? And uh, inevitably, by the end of the class, sitting there for an hour watching this film strip, you know, all the kids were like wrecked their eyes because we'd watched a film strip out of focus. But there's tremendous relief when finally 
they get it right. You know what I mean? When something comes into focus. Now, a disciple, one of the marks of a disciple is that things are clear. There's focus in their life. In other words, they're able to see down the line. They're able to see past the, the, the end of their nose to, to see clearly. And again, look at our definition, the quality of having clear visual definition, the ability to see with absolute clarity. In other words, when you talk to a true disciple, someone who's growing, someone who's maturing, and you talk to him about the things of God, there's not a lot of ambiguity. They're not just going, well, I don't know, I think maybe God wants me to, I don't know, maybe, you know, the next week you talk to him, well, I don't know, maybe God's taking me over here now, I think I'm going to move over here, I think I'm going to do this, I think I'm going to do that, and I mean, my Lord, that's, that's, that's ambiguity, that's, that's being out of focus, one who has a relationship with Jesus and walking with him, they know there's a clarity. And I love, I love that definition, absolute, having clear visual definition. Say this with me, clear visual definition. Ever been to a movie theater and the film was out of focus? I mean, I don't know about you, but I pay that much money, I, I want something in focus. You know what I'm talking about? And I was in one film one time at, at a movie theater, and the film came on. It was the place was packed, and it was out of focus. And I mean, people just got crazy. I mean, it, it people started yelling and cussing and screaming. I'm like, man, I, I boy, I, I would not want to be that that poor guy that they're about to go tackle in the lobby. And sure enough, several people got up, stormed out, and by the time they got back to the to the back. You sit there, you're sitting there for a minute, and then it gets clear, and everybody starts cheering and clapping because now we have visual clarity, and everybody can see. Everybody started clapping. Well, then the movie stops, and I'm like, man, this is about to be, this is going to be a riot here. This is going to be like just, you know, running of the bulls or something in Spain. And what they did is that those, whoever talked to him said, we want you to start, and they literally started the movie over, which is only just a short time. But they start out because it was out of focus and it drove everybody crazy. So let me just say a few things about a disciple. Here's what, number one, just jotting some notes down. A disciple refuses, listen to this, a disciple refuses to be defined by their past. Man, I'm telling you, listen to this, I am not my history. In fact, we ought to declare that one. I am not my history. Say it with me. I am not my history. Now, you, somebody should say it from, from the gut here because some of you have been living. We've been talking about this for several weeks on Sunday morning. I felt like I wanted to pick this up a little bit, some of this theme here, because a lot of us think in terms of behavioralism. We think in terms of environmentalism where we think I am the sum total of everything that's happened in my life. Let me tell you something. That can be true to you or it can be a lie for you. I've made that a lie for me. I refuse to be defined by my past. I refuse to be defined by past decisions that were ungodly. Somebody wrote me a little note today and and said that since we've been doing this series, they've been encouraged and it strengthened them. And I wrote them a note back and said, they said, it's it's helped me to to get clarity on my past and, and I'm not chained to that anymore. And I wrote them back, I said, what past? Because your life is now hidden in Christ. You don't have a past. So I think, I think we should declare that with our mouth, don't you? Let's say it out loud. Let's say, I am, I am. Not, my not my history. Let's say it all together. I am, 
I am not my history. I think somebody should stand up. I think we need to get this one out in the atmosphere. Because the enemy is lying to you and trying to tell you, you know what, that thing that happened to you six years ago defines you. You know, it's funny when you meet people who knew you a long time ago, they still see you that way. But let me tell you something. You just need to say, well, well, I'm not that person anymore. Some of you need to say, I'm not the person that I was yesterday, right now, standing right here in this place. Why? Because I've worshipped. I've encountered the presence of God. I'm under the teaching of the Word. And it's renewing my mind, and so I'm not even the same person that I was. All right, let's say say it together. I am not my history. Now, let me just make some announcements. Devil, I am not my history. All the demons, you ready? I am not my history. Old nature, I am not my history. Mirror, I am not my history. Now, you should just just pat your chest like, I am not my history. I am not my history. It is not who I am anymore. I've been redeemed. I've been changed. I've been transformed. I've been renewed. I'm now a saint. I am, I can, and I will in the name of Jesus. Amen? All right, give the Lord a hand and sit down. That, That helps somebody. 2 Corinthians 5.17, gosh, this is one of my faves. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, you may be in anyone, I'm in anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. I am not my history. All things have passed away. I'm not my history. Some of you, we had 11 people baptized on Sunday afternoon at ACU, and it was amen. Give the Lord a big hand. It was so awesome watching that, and every time they went down the was like, there's the old man being buried with Christ in baptism, new man raised to what I am not my history. They're not their history anymore. Every, look what it says. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Someone say all things. Now, is this just a one-time deal? No, no, no. His mercies are new what? Every morning. I get, isn't it cool to know when you wake up, you've got a clean slate to start with? Now, you may all mess it up by 9 o'clock, but here's the deal. You started with a clean slate. Amen? I've got marks all over. I've been drawing stuff, my own plans, my own agendas. But it was, it was new when I got up. Amen? All right, here's the next thing. A disciple understands the imperative, listen to this, understands the imperative to fix their eyes on Jesus. Now, the word imperative is literally means a command. It's a mandate. In other words, it's not an option for a fully devoted follower of Christ. So let's look at the scripture around that. We've been kind of hitting on some of these scriptures in various uh, uh, various um, forums as we've been talking over the last few weeks. Here, Some of these will sound repetitive, but they're important, all right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, someone say, somebody's watching. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. Did you know you're in a race? The race that is set before us. Now, look what the the second verse. Here it is. Looking unto Jesus. Another translation says, fixing our eyes. Remember the scripture said that he, he set his face like a flint. He was focused. He knew he was where he was going. He wasn't looking back. He was going forward. And that's what, exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Looking unto Jesus. Someone say, set your eyes. 
setting your eyes, fixing your eyes, looking unto Jesus. Look what, it, look what the Scripture calls Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end. The author and the who for the joy that was set before him. Notice Jesus. Now, we're, the whole idea of being a, a disciple, a Christ follower, is that he is our, he's our rabbi, our teacher, whereby we are his disciple, whereby we're to become what he is. We're, we're imitating, we're learning, we're becoming, we're being transformed, we're being renewed. And here's exactly his mindset. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And look what it says, despising the shame. The word despise means to literally put down. He despised the shame. He put it down. He pushed it down and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, he had his eyes set on something. And as Jesus had his eyes set forward and his gaze forward, he was focused. Say, Jesus was focused. He was focused, and we too are to focus our eyes where? On Jesus. He's the goal. We're becoming like him. We're looking unto him who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Number three, if you're jotting these down, a disciple looks forward with the eyes of faith. In other words, faith sees something that is out there that may not be tangible at the moment, but will become tangible in time, in due season. So faith sees beyond what is natural. Faith sees that which is supernatural. Someone say supernatural. So a disciple looks forward with the eyes of faith. Jeremiah 29, 11, again, big faith here. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace. That word peace means literally, it's shalom, which literally means prosperity, wholeness, completion. And I love another, several have said it this way, nothing missing, nothing broken. That's what shalom means, nothing missing, Nothing broken. I don't know about you, but I like that definition. Look what he says. Thoughts of shalom and not of evil to give you, look, a future and a hope. So a disciple literally sees forward, is able to, with absolute, remember, clear visual definition, absolute clarity, is able to see into the future. And no matter what's going on in your life right now and whatever your situation is right now, you know it's going to be okay because you've been given a future and a hope. You know that his plans are for shalom. His plans for you are for shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And you see that with the eyes of faith. Now, you may not know what that looks like specifically, but you do know that it's going to be good. Because his good, he's good, his mercy endures forever, and your eyes are fixed on him. Your eyes look forward with the eyes of faith. You're going, you know what? No matter what's going on right now, this too shall pass. This We will get through this. Amen? You will get through this. It will pass. And you see and you know he is a future and a hope for you. And here's the fourth thing. A disciple rejects the tendency to long for the past. The good old days. Boy, I remember. I remember back. Now, listen, it's not bad to reminisce. I, I, I get nostalgic. I get warm fuzzies when I hear certain songs that United on you know, Muzak, you know. I go, oh, man, I remember when that came out, you know. Ooh, now it's classic. You know, everything's classic now that came out when I was around. And so it's not bad to get warm fuzzies over that and wax a little nostalgic, okay? But when you begin to dwell, remember, 
Where the mind goes, the man follows, and what you dwell upon, you become what you behold. And as you continue to look back and look back and look back, there's no way you can go forward. There's no way. And so you'll find yourself looking back, longing to go back, the good old days. We're talking about the people who still have their trophies out from 25 years ago. Still got your letter jacket in your closet. Okay, I'm going to stop there because I'll get real sassy when I talk like this. So Genesis chapter 19, there was this lady. She was married to a guy named Lot. And they were in a very decadent, sick culture and society. And as I have read the description, and we're not going to take the time to read the whole passage tonight, but it looks a lot like today. A lot like today. You should read it for yourself, Genesis 19. Read about about what they were doing and what they wanted to do and, and what they were even trying to do. So God sends two messengers to Lot's house because he's concerned that he's going to he's going to execute judgment on the city and he says, I'm going to rescue this descendant out, this part of the line, the part of this part of the lineage, I'm going to rescue Lot and his family out of the city. You saw God do that with Moses. You saw God deliver Abraham out of a land that's familiar and gave him a whole new place. And now you've got Lot in a situation where God says, I'm going to rescue him out. So he sends two messengers into the city. And while these messengers are going through the city to Lot's house, they're getting, they're getting catcalled. I mean, these sick, perverted individuals are trying to have sex with them, the Bible says. And I read that. I was like, man, I had to do a double take when I read that. Like, what? I mean, crazy stuff. Not that different from today. And, and so what happens, they show up on the doorstep a lot, and they look, you got to get out of town. you got to get out of town. All these guys are pursuing them, wanting to, wanting to have sex with them. And, and he says, come in here. And, and, and Lot, come on, Lot, what are you doing? What are you thinking, man? So he offers his daughters up in place of the messengers of God. I mean, wow, what a great guy, right? So Lot's so messed up, but God is going to redeem his family and save his family. And isn't that like God to come to us? All messed up, skewed perspective, off thinking, unsound thinking. God says, I love you so much, I'm going to rescue you anyway. I'm going to save you anyway. And so this story is so, so this is what happens. When it comes to this point, here's what these, these messengers tell Lot's family. Get out of this town because God is going to rain fire. He's going to rain brimstone and sulfur. And on the sea, he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, this place. And here's where we pick up the story. So I wanted to kind of give you the short version of it. In verse 15, Genesis 19 says, When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry. I don't know about you, but if an angel was saying, Come on, get your stuff together, let's go, would you not be getting after it? <laughs> I'd be making a hole through the wall that's shaped like me. You know, I'd be out of there. He says, urge Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters, who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. In other words, judgment was at the door. It was inevitable. And look what happens. And while he lingered, okay, Lot, come on. What do you mean lingered? The angel of the Lord just said, do this, and he lingered. Now, before we laugh and judge Lot too much, think about how many times God's told you to do something, and you lingered. See, we got the same issue as Lot. God's speaking, God's urging, God's nudging, God's directing, and we're going, oh, hold on a minute, I need to pray about that. 
get a word from the Lord, and now you've got to pray about it. You get, you get something inside of you that says, do this, and you go, well, I better think about it. I better put that on the back shelf for a bit. He lingered. Now look what happens. The men took hold of his hand. Someone say, mercy rules. Mercy rules. The men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out, literally physically. So the angel of the Lord says, look, I love you so much, I'm going to get you out here. Physically get him out. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Now, you got to know, while this was going on, I mean, the storm clouds must have been gathered. I mean, no telling what was going on in the heavenlies. It had to look like the coolest sci-fi film ever, one of those 2012 doomsday, here it comes moments. And here they are outside the city looking back. Now, look what happens. Let's go with the story. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Now, at this point, I would be running. Escape for your life. Now, look what interesting. He says, don't look back. The angel of the Lord says, do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plane. He's trying to say, this is about to get ugly. Get out of here and don't even look back. I ran track in high school because I was forced to if I was going to play football. So that was what they did. That was part of our training. And one thing I did learn, because I was not a speedster, but one of the things I did learn is that if I was running in my lane and I heard somebody coming up behind me, either on the right or the left, the rule, the number one cardinal rule in track was to not look back because you would immediately lose your rhythm. You'd lose your pace, and you would lose precious split seconds by looking back. The angel says, it's about to get so bad, don't even look back. Don't look back. Someone say, don't look back. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere on the plane. He said, keep going. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Now, someone say, better listen to God. See, we don't want to get the spirit of Lot's wife on us. Now, look what happens here in verses 23 to 26. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. That was another community, a town up in the mountains, away, and look what happens. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Someone say, the Lord executes judgment. Okay, he's a just God. Now look what happens. So he overthrew those cities, all of the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground, everything was decimated with brimstone. And look what happens. But his wife looked back behind him. And she became a pillar of salt. Someone say, don't look back. Disciple of Jesus is focused on what's ahead, focused on what's in front of them. Jesus set his eyes on the cross, even though there were things in between. I mean, on, on, on the joy that was beyond the cross, even though the cross was here, he looked beyond that because he stayed focused and it got him through. And a disciple of Jesus, one of our calls, one of our mandates is that we have got to keep our eyes focused on what's in front of us. Because if not, you will find yourself looking back, looking back. And you know what happens when you look back? You will be frozen in that state. Oh, you may not be a pillar of salt, but you might as well be when it comes to the kingdom. Have you ever met a Christian who was just frozen? A couple years ago, Annette and I went down to a conference that we were invited to be a part of, and we didn't know anything about 
the church, anything about the conference. It was it was a foreign thing to us because we'd been invited by some friends. And so we went, and they paid our way, so we went. And when we got there, I promise you, these people were stuck in 1972. This was a 1970s charismatic church that probably experienced a very powerful outpouring in 1972. Problem is, is they still look like 1972. They were literally frozen in time. And I can imagine the talks around the coffee pot in the fellowship hall about those days. Boy, you remember when God poured out his spirit? Do you remember when we were all part of this group and we came out, we all came together, we were all hungry for God, and God baptized us in the spirit, and we experienced the gifts, and, and, we, and, and everything's in past tense. All the discussion, all the language, past tense. Remember when, remember when, remember when. I don't know about, well, I mean, I'd say most everybody in this building tonight drives a relatively new car. I saw a 1969 Ford pickup today lumbering down Treadaway. I mean, lumbering. I had a 71 Ford, similar body style. Man, in, in, the, in the 70s, that was a hot truck. Man, it looked good, ran good. I had chrome wagon wheels on it, dual four-inch pipes. I mean, had a 360 in it. It was, man, it was a neat truck, crushed velour seats, two-tone red rails. I mean, I had it all beefed up. Panasonic cassette player. It was rocking sticks, man. I, I was rocking it. Kansas left overture. I was rocking it. And I saw that truck, and, I, and it was, just, it, I mean, it was barely going. Smokes, you know, burning oil, smokes coming out of the, <laughs> and you drive by it, and you hear the, the manifolds have terrible leaks in them, so, so the exhaust man was just, da 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 just, I'm like, and I'm laughing about it as I'm driving. You know what? The world is laughing at a lot of Christians because they've looked, they're frozen where they were. And you know what? A lot of Christians have become completely irrelevant to the culture around them. Now, here's the deal. I'm not saying we got to look like the culture. I think we should set the pace in the culture. There are, we're not supposed to be just like the culture, but we ought to be leading culture. We ought to be, we ought to be leading, should we not? But no, we're, we're always this pale copy of the culture, this facts of a facts of a facts that's lost so much resolution that we're completely unreadable to the culture. We're frozen. Because we look back. It's interesting about an old car. I mean, we were out here doing the parade, you know, handing out water and stuff. Wait, out here. We're out here doing the parade. <laughs> Eight years, and I still point that way. We were doing the parade and handing out water, and these old cars drove by, like a 55 Chevy Bel Air, a 57. And I mean, oh, gorgeous, beautiful. But you know what? Those cars are irre irrelevant today. Oh, they're cool, and they look great in a parade. And we all go, wow, man, it makes you remember, you think back, and Dad had one of those. Wow, it was cool. And you kind of laugh, and you kind of smile, and you think about sock hops and, you know, rock around the clock and, you know, all this music from the 50s and, you know, Buddy Holly and all that, and, and it's cute now. And let me tell you something. A lot of Christians have just become cute. Might as well stick them in a parade and just go, golly, I remember that. Remember that? Remember how cute that, golly, look at that. Isn't that neat? Remember those meetings we used to have, and everybody would fall down, and, man, it would just be like, whoo, wasn't that cute? Wasn't that awesome? Frozen. Someone say frozen. 
Am I making my point here? Don't look back. Thank God for foundations that were laid. Thank God that that God spoke. Amen? But you know what? He's the God who still speaks today. And he's the God who's going to speak tomorrow. And he's going to speak in your life today and show you tomorrow so that you can begin to see and get focused for what's coming. Someone say, it's time to get focused. All right, staying focused. A couple things. Romans 12, 1. We'll end with this. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, very familiar to many. And do not be conformed to this world. The word conform means to be pressed into. It's like when you take silly putty and stick your thumb in it, you're conforming it. That's what conform means. You're pressured into to fit a mold, to fit into. That's what conformed means. It means to be pressed into form. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed, the word trans means, or that, that prefix means literally to be changed. To change your form. So conform means you're being imitated, molded into something. Transform means completely something different. You're changing your form. Does that make sense? It says don't be conformed but be to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in order to become focused, there's some things that we're going to have to be that are going to have to happen, and this is what's going to happen. We've got to renew our minds. And let me tell you something. It happens every day. It's an ongoing process to have your mind renewed. Now, here's, a, here's the simple things to do. You become what you behold. Spend time daily reading God's Word. That sounds so obvious that we miss it. It's so obvious we should, but we don't. And when we don't, we, we suffer the consequences. It's, your, it's to your advantage to have a routine, same time, same place. I'll just say this. Do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. Turn to your neighbor and say, do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor and allow this word to get inside of you. Spend time with this word, in this word. Got a couple of websites for you to check out. One is deliberatepeople.com. Fantastic website that has a one-year reading plan that you can uh, print off as a PDF, has a prayer guide in it, a reading plan, and it's very good. It's actually, I don't know if you all remember Phil Joel, the bass player for Newsboys for many years, awesome Australian guy or New Zealand, one of of those. It's he and his wife who, one of the reasons he quit the band is because he wanted to pursue the presence of God and the passion of God. he played arenas and, you know, sold out concerts, sold, had 20 number one hits as the Newsboys. And he was like, I need more of God. I don't need more of this. I need more of God. And he and his wife started this, this ministry called DeliberatePeople.com. Check it out. It's fantastic. It's a free download, uh, free PDF. You can leave it on your computer or you can print it. I printed mine off and I've got it in a little. Actually, I have it right here. I've got it. I printed it off. It's 18 pages and I've got it in my notebook right here. And it, it's going to be the guide. It's going to be something that, that helps me stay on track. Here's another one, uversion.com. We've mentioned this here before. It's a great resource. Uh, it's online, free Bible with, I, I can't even count all the translations at this point that it's in, but all your favorite translations are there. But they also have something up, upwards of 30 or 40 
reading plans, different ways to read the Bible and get into the Word every day. And you can shape those and work those, and it keeps track for you. And you can do all that on your even on your iPhone. They have a great, and I'm sure on, on the others as well. So deliberatepeople.com, uversion.com, spend time daily in God's Word. Number two, through the lens of God's Word, you have to begin to see yourself. Someone say see. Someone say imagine. Someone say image. Okay? you got to begin to see yourself whole. A disciple focuses on what's, what, it, what they're becoming, what God is doing, what God is working out, the promises of God that are in Christ, yes and amen, and begins to say, I, I see that. I can, I can see myself whole. Some people have never thought of themselves as whole and not even have dared to dream of themselves as completely whole. And it's time to dream. It's, I dare you to dream. I dare you to see yourself whole. I dare you to see yourself healthy. I dare you to see yourself complete in Christ. The Bible says positionally you're already there. You're complete in Him. It's just we're, our mind and our body's trying to catch up to that truth. But we already are. But begin to see yourself that way. Okay? See yourself whole. See yourself powerful. Again, through the lens of God's Word. See yourself powerful. See yourself anointed. See yourself strong. See yourself victorious. Man, the list can go on. See yourself overcoming. See yourself out of that circumstance and healthy. See yourself as the head and not the tail. See yourself as above only and not beneath. Is this not the Word of God? See yourself prospering. See yourself winning in life. See yourself succeeding. See yourself confident. Is this making sense? Listen, this isn't just positive mental attitude. This is the lens of God's Word speaking and and giving you images so that you can see because that is exactly what God has called you to be. Can I get an amen? See it. You've got to let your sanctified imagination, the image. That's what I mean, God gave us this amazing ability to see that which is not even there. And how how else can we call things that it... You know, that do not exist as though they are without seeing them first. You don't call something into form that you've never seen. You see it with the eyes of faith and you begin to declare it and call it. I cannot say this enough. You've got to get God's word on your mouth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but you've got to hear the word of God. And to hear the word of God, you've got to speak the word of God and get that word. In Christ I am, in Christ I can. In Christ, I will. In Christ, I see myself whole, complete. In Christ, I see myself as a saint. In Christ, I see myself holy. In Christ, I see myself above reproach. In Christ, I see myself blameless. In Christ, I declare there's no condemnation on my life. In Christ, I see myself overcoming all the darts of the wicked one. You see what I'm saying? All I'm doing is taking the word and I'm seeing what's out there. The problem is, is we don't believe the Word will work for us. Satan's biggest weapon right there. Can I get an amen? All right, I'm giving you some things to do. This isn't just about theory. This is about what you need to do. Begin to see yourself and then begin to declare yourself. Number three, confess what you see with your mouth out loud. 
Now, I know it sounds like a bunch of self-talk, but it's not. It's taking God's Word and doing with His Word what God did. God said, and it was. And even in the Psalms, it says that His angels literally heed the voice of what? His Word. Someone say, the Word's powerful. Say, the Word works, but you have to work the Word. Let's all stand together. Let's do something as we close here. Can you just close your eyes? You don't have to bow your head. You can if you want. Just close your eyes and can you see yourself whole? Can you see yourself? Just just listen to me. Just go with me. See yourself as someone who's positive and only speaks that which is life-giving out of their mouth. See yourself as someone who has been trained by the, by the Word and by the Spirit working in your life, who's able to put a guard over your mouth when those horrible things come into your mind. Not everything that falls into your mind has to fall out of your mouth, and you're trained. See yourself able to arrest those thoughts. See yourself able to take thoughts captive and make them literally obedient to Jesus Christ. See yourself as someone who laughs a lot. Can you see it? See, just use your sanctified imagination and see yourself like Jesus, full of joy. Full of joy. Is it not the, is it not the fruit of the Spirit? See yourself as patient. Just every, head, every eye closed. Annette and I had a little test this week when she opened the refrigerator. No, she was standing there. We had a, like a half a case or a whole case of Diet Coke sitting on the counter. And she was going to put some in the fridge. And when she picked up the edge of the box, it tore. And a bunch of them fell out on the floor. And one exploded in our kitchen. And I mean, it sent it everywhere. It covered our kitchen in fizzy, warm Diet Coke. And we looked at each other and we laughed. And we were like, we passed the test. Because it would have been so easy to just get frustrated. And we just ended up laughing about it. It felt good to pass that test. Can you see yourself that patient? Can you see yourself passing those tests? Can you see yourself handling stress and crisis? Can you see yourself not reacting Every time something is said, every time you have a thought, every time somebody says something, can you see yourself at peace? Can you see yourself whole? Maybe you've never even dared dream that. Well, I'm here tonight to announce to you that you can be, you will be, that God is working on you. God has ordered your steps. He's delighting in the very details of your life. And He desires you to be whole. He desires you to, to, to literally be healthy. 
And, it, and that's apart from your circumstances. It's apart from what's going on in your life. It's apart from the triggers that are, that are coming against you, the things that are happening. But to be able to step back and go, you know what? I'm not going to let that trigger me anymore. I'm not going to let that set me off. I'm not going to let that rule my life. I'm not going to let anything make me angry, angry because nothing can make me angry. Only I can choose to be angry. And when you begin to put a guard over your mouth, a guard over your mind, a guard over your heart, and you begin begin to be whole. Let me tell you something. Life, life gets exciting. And you'll begin to impact everybody around you. Let me ask you a question with your head bowed. Do you want to make a difference really for the kingdom of God? Quit seeing yourself preaching in stadiums over in Africa, thinking that's somehow the pinnacle of ministry success. See yourself impacting your office one day at a time through the little things, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, where people begin to come to you and ask for your advice, not because you're just going to validate them in their stuff, but because you've got a word of wisdom on your mouth because you're whole. And by the end of the year, you've counseled 20, 30, 40, 50 people telling you that's supernatural, that's miraculous because you're whole. Some of you in situations where your children are just acting, they're spinning off, spouses spinning off, family spinning off. And you know what? You can be whole and you can be the calm in the midst of the storm. You can be. You can be the adult in any situation. You can be the one with the level head because you're carrying this thing called life, the Spirit, Jesus working in you, whole. Can you see yourself never uttering a word of judgment over another person again? I refuse to be the judge. I refuse to let that come out of my mouth. It sounds like a tall order, but you know what? It's, it's the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's exactly what Jesus said we are to do and can do as we are led by the Spirit. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person, Lord, Lord, this is, these are not unattainable things. Lord, what you've called us to, what you've mandated us to, you've equipped us for. You've given us the tools. You've given us your spirit. You've given us wisdom. You've given us gifts. You've given us your very presence. You've given us Jesus, who's paid the highest price so that we can have all these things. These are not unattainable. God, I pray that our theology would not be theory, but it would literally shape our thinking, our behavior, everything about us. So when people see us, they see Jesus because we're whole. Right now, let's just make a declaration. Say, in the name of Jesus, by faith, I see myself whole. I see myself thriving. I see myself as the head and not the tail. I see myself as above my circumstances, not below. In Christ, I am, 
I can and I will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Love you.